Before we begin this episode of the Whole Nine Draft podcast, we wanted to pay tribute to the late Kobe Bryant, who passed away on Sunday in a helicopter crash with his 13-year-old daughter and seven others. Uh, Kobe Bryant was an inspiration to an entire generation of not just basketball fans, but the people of Los Angeles. And uh, it is an absolute tragedy that we lost that guy so soon. Um, So I have prepared this tribute that I'm about to play for you. And then uh, Alex and I are going to kind of talk about what our favorite Kobe Bryant uh, moments are. So we hope you guys do enjoy this part. Everything was done to try to learn how to become a better basketball player. Everything. It's not about you, man. Like, okay, you feel embarrassed. You're not that important. Like, (laughs) get over yourself. That's where you go. Get over yourself. Right? Like, you're worried about how people may perceive you, and, like, you're walking around, and it's embarrassing because you shot five air balls. Get over yourself. Parent, you got to set the example. You got to set the example. This, This is another obstacle. This obstacle cannot define me. It's not going to cripple me. It's not going to be responsible for me stepping away from the game that I love. I'm going to step away on my own terms. Work your potential. As hard as you believe you can work, you can work harder than that. I was at seven. I said, you know what? I'm going to come to the Staples Center because we're playing this one. The Lakers had Kobe and Shaq. Okay, this is, this is like the championship Lakers. So you know, I'm gonna get there at three o'clock. I wanna make sure I make 400 made shots before I go back into the room and then I sit in the sauna and I get ready for the game. So, you know, get in the car, get to the gym, get there, and as I'm walking onto the court, who do I see? I see Kobe Bryant, already working out. Um. My favorite Kobe Bryant story isn't really a story as much as it is just watching him. Obviously, uh, I'm 21 years old. Kobe Bryant played in the NBA for most of my lifetime, and I grew up in Southern California. And so Kobe Bryant was a lot of my friends' heroes, especially because I played travel basketball as a kid. And I was never the biggest Kobe fan. I was a Suns fan when I was a kid because I was born in Arizona. And then later I became a Thunder fan. And so those two teams kind of always went up against Kobe Bryant and the Lakers in the playoffs, and they always lost to him. And so I hated Kobe Bryant. And as I got older, I saw him do all these things on the court. You know, we saw the torn Achilles where he walks off the court. We saw him do all these things that we didn't think he could keep doing as an older player. And then that last game where he scored 60 against the Jazz, I watched that game live, and it even for me, who, like I said, wasn't a huge Kobe fan, it was just such a surreal experience for everyone that cared about basketball to share. And then to see him after retirement do everything that he did for the game of basketball, and not just for men's basketball, but for women's basketball too, the work that he was doing with the WNBA and with his daughter and everything. It's just so, it seems so unfair that he's gone and I think what really got me is when I was watching ESPN's coverage of it and they showed his daughter Gigi and the the 2006 to 2020 that's just unreal man and so for for something like this to happen and I think I speak for a lot of people when I say like 
no one expected Kobe Bryant to be the one to go out this way. Like, he always just seemed invincible. You know, like I said, that stuff on the court that happened with him, like, he played through everything, and he always performed, and he always performed at a high level. And so for him (laughs) to go out this way and not be around the game of basketball for as long as he should have gotten to be able to is just so incredibly sad. And so as a basketball fan, but more just like as a sports fan and as a person, I'm just so crushed that this is what happened. And so my condolences go out to obviously all the families affected. I don't have the names in front of me and I'm sorry that I don't. Um, But all the families that were affected, everyone that was affected, like my sincerest condolences. Well, and I think I speak for pretty much everyone Kobe seemed like he was larger than life um he I I was always team LeBron so when we all as sports fans do our ranking of all time you know it seems silly now but we'd all sit back and we argue okay who's better LeBron MJ or Kobe and we get in all these silly arguments me and my friends would and I think, and Nick Wright said this best, and I think it kind of spoke to me because I feel the same way. I feel like I was robbed of Kobe's greatness because I was always, excuse me, always arguing against him in these arguments about who was the greatest of all time or all these stupid stuff that us sports fans get into. And I think it truly robbed me of appreciating how great of a talent and how great of a person that he truly was i remember um the 2007 nba finals the year that the boston celtics beat uh, the lakers with kg paul pierce and ray allen i uh i remember i was at my grandpa's house and uh because i was a timberwolves fan i was rooting for kg because i wanted to see kg be successful and i just remember being in awe of kobe bryant and i was like six or seven um being in awe of how good kobe bryant really was and now that he, when he retired and he had his jerseys retired in L.A., and then he created the uh, Mama Sports Academy for women's basketball, and he was training his um, his daughter, Gigi, and saying um, that Gigi had it, she was going to be in the WNBA, and all these fancy things that he, he was ready to achieve in his life, It it's almost like it's a chapter book in... Kobe's second chapter just got cut off and was never finished being written um, because of all the things he wanted to accomplish. And he still accomplished so much outside of basketball, winning uh, the Oscar and um, opening the sports academy and being a father of four girls. But it's just, it's like you said, it's just out of everyone in the entire world, this shouldn't have and didn't, it shouldn't have happened to Kobe. Um, I remember we were driving back from Mobile um, this this past week, which Alex and I will touch on later on in the show. Um, but I was sleeping, and Evan was driving. Um, and he shook me awake. This was after two, three hours of me just being knocked out because we didn't sleep much in Alabama. Um, and he looked at me, and he said, Kobe died. And I said, and I just looked at him with a blank face, and I said, What? And he said Kobe died. And then I opened up my phone and I have 30 text messages, 45 Snapchat notifications, and over 100 Twitter notifications. And yeah. I just 
I remember having to have these conversations with all these people, and we just all were completely shocked that it was him. And I kind yeah. of had my moment where I was just sitting in the car, and I was holding back tears. And like I said, and this is someone that's not even like a gigantic Kobe Bryant fan, but what he has done right. not only for the game of basketball, but for society and people of LA and women's sports, it was truly remarkable of what type what type of person he was and everything that he has done for the world. And it's just seeing all these people interview on ESPN, telling their Kobe Bryant stories. I know Jay Williams had a great story and it, it yeah, just, it's yeah. heartbreaking that this happened to him. And uh, like I said, my condolences do go out to Vanessa, his three uh, surviving little girls, and uh, all the other families that were um, involved in this tragedy and affected by it. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. It's definitely a chapter of it's the end of an era for basketball fans because at least for people my age I'm 18 years old everyone will talk about LeBron but LeBron didn't really start becoming like the greatest player ever in that discussion until I was already in my teenage years so I grew up as a little kid watching Kobe Bryant um you know we would sit in uh in elementary school and throw the paper balls in the trash can and yell Kobe and it's just it's the stupid things like that that really make you realize how devastating and heartbreaking that this this really is. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it's just like it doesn't it still doesn't seem real. Obviously, like we're talking about it now, but it's one of those things where like it happened on Sunday and it's Tuesday night now, and I'll just be going about my day and I open Twitter back up and there's new stuff that's coming out and I'm like, yep, man. It, it really happened. It's it's absolutely uh, it's it's surreal and it's still to this day like it's it's hard to wrap your head around. I know uh, it it was difficult for a lot of uh, my friends, especially the Laker fans, and just all of us. I remember getting texts from people that I went to elementary school with that I didn't even know yeah. had my contact information because I hadn't seen them in years. Because I went to elementary school in Minnesota and then I'm living here in Missouri, um, and they were texting me like. Just we were just have half hour long conversations about everything that uh, surrounded Kobe Bryant in our lives. So it really is heartbreaking, and um, it's really hard not to hold back the emotion here while we're sitting here on the podcast because it's just bringing back all these memories, flooding. You kind of forget they're there in the back of your mind. But we wanted to do this for uh, Kobe Bryant. We wanted to do this talk about Kobe Bryant. We wanted to dedicate a specific section of the podcast for uh for kobe and for the families involved so we'll be right back with uh with the rest of the whole nine draft podcast what is going on guys welcome back to the whole nine draft podcast i am your host josh berg you can find me on twitter at josh berg 0611 and i am joined by a uh a very special guest. He's uh, my new co-host here on the Whole Nine Draft Podcast, uh, Alex Katz, and you've probably listened to him a couple times on the uh, Whole Nine Sports Podcast. He was down in Mobile this weekend with me and a bunch of other guys from Whole Nine, and we just we hit it off right away. I mean, we had texted back and forth and all these things, but 
in person. We just we had a great relationship from the start, and I asked him to become the co-host on here. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Alex Katzen. Um, we have a great show for you. We're we're really uh, excited to get going here. We've got a lot of cool stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to go over the Senior Bowl, do a mock draft review, and give you guys a little sneak peek on a scouting report um, that we have on each player. Um, Alex, do you have anything that you uh, want to add before we get going? Uh, just hello, everyone. Um, excited to be the new co-host on this show. Um, I'm sorry if I sound like garbage on this episode, but I don't have a mic yet because we decided I was going to co-host the podcast from here on out uh, two days ago. <laughs> yeah, it was, so, uh, it was... It was a pretty a, impromptu decision. It, it was, and I just, you know, I think... Um, the decision was made. I think I uh, texted. I think it was what Monday, Monday morning or something like that. Yeah, I was just something like, like that. I was just like, screw it. I feel like I'll have more to, more uh, motivation if I'm doing this with uh, a guy that I have a lot of respect for and consider a really good friend of mine. Um, and like I said, we just hit it off right away in Mobile. We're sitting around the the yeah, table having three four hour long conversations on players and. Alex uh, hasn't been scouting nearly as long as I have, but I feel like he already knows no, more than me. So it's I've, for those of you that don't know, I've been scouting for less than a year. <laughs> I started scouting in like uh, it's close to a year now, towards the end of January, more like middle of February, once the Super Bowl ended last year. Um, but please trust what I say, anyways, <laughs> because I've done a lot of work to seem like i know what i'm talking about well and just to show you guys how much respect i have for alex and his work i've been scouting for probably about seven or eight years now and i used his grading scale template and hey put some put a little bit of change on it but because it looked so organized and it was so well put out um that i just mine looked like a kindergartner made it and so i i texted alex and was like hey you mind if i make a copy of this and tweak it and he said go for it so that's that's how much that i respect what alex has to say um like i said our time working at whole nine has been a lot of fun i know the senior bowl was a great time for all of us at whole nine i know uh the two of us had a great time i know evan dylan brandon and mike were all had a lot of fun down there too so yeah absolutely it was it was a great experience for us and speaking of the senior bowl as uh as i mentioned Alex and I took part of the whole nine sports draft house um, in Mobile. We were down there for a week, and we were uh, involved with a bunch of media stuff and did some practices, and uh, a lot of us just goofing around, playing Madden, and talking about sports, and ha- we were having a yeah. great time. Um, Shout but- out, uh, sorry. No, Shout out Megan it. and Andrew for letting us stay in yeah, their absolutely. house. Um, um, you have a wonderful home. And yes, we and destroyed they, it, but then we made it look like we didn't. Well, and they they uh, put on our Airbnb um, review that they would definitely have us again. But I guarantee you, if they saw what the house looked like before we were all scrambling and cleaning it up the night before we left, they oh, would yeah. not have allowed us back in that house. Um, um, it's fine. They're not listening. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Senior Bowl. And there were a lot of big storylines heading into the Senior Bowl. But a lot of us came out of it really liking a few different prospects that have rose our board since we've seen them uh, practice. And uh, Alex, your first name here is James Prochet. What made you fall in love with him in Mobile? Yeah, so um, 
I was generally aware of Proche coming into this week. I mean, I just happened to catch a lot of SMU football this year. I can't really tell you why. It's just what was on. Um, so I knew about Proche, but I didn't really know about him as a prospect that much. And I think, excuse me, I think with this wide receiver class, we've been talking about the top names and then kind of the next tier. But Proche was probably the guy that impressed me the most this week. Well, last week, I guess now. Um, he just looked strong all around, man. Um, he's probably more of a slot receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Um, he got a couple out. You know, he got some outside reps here and there in Mobile, but he was really doing most of his damage out of the slot. Um, really good technique to get out of the press coverage that they were running for practices all week. Um Showed good footwork. I really like his route running. Um, strong hands. Like, just just look good all around. And I think that he's a guy where I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch his tape because I haven't watched it yet because there's so many wide receivers in this class. And I'm going to go back and watch it, and I think he's going to end up as, like, a mid-round, like, late day two, early day three guy for me. And that's not a knock on him at all. That's just how deep this class is. Oh, yeah. Where I think in any other class he'd easily be like a second, third round talent. Um, but he he looked good. He's got kick. He's got special teams upside. You know, he worked as a returner for a lot of the week. Um, got a little bit of work in as a gunner because Lord knows what the coaches were doing for most <laughs> of these practices. Um, but yeah, just looked really good overall a player that I'm really excited to go back and watch. Um, He's someone that had a lot of production this past year, 111 receptions, 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns um, for SMU. And I think what impressed me the most about him was actually the return game because I know the first day um, there was a lot for both the North and the South roster. There was a lot of special teams errors. I know that I saw a bunch of muffed punts, and Proche, We're about to talk about one of them, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we are, yeah. And, uh, a little tease for you. Pro, Proche, I think the entire week, I think I only had him, I saw him drop maybe one, and it wasn't even in like an actual drill. It was just him goofing around yeah. beforehand. Brandon, Brandon was the one that mentioned this, I think, but I think he dropped one punt like during the actual return drills, and it wasn't because like someone knocked it out or something. He literally just like dropped the ball while he was running. Yeah. But yeah, he's someone that in a deep receiver class, I was uh, he was kind of like a mid um, fourth or fifth round guy for me. And then watching him in Mobile, stacking up against uh, guys like Van Jefferson and Denzel Milms down there, who also had really good weeks. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up on yeah, teams' absolutely. boards. Um, he's someone that I think can be used in a couple different ways, not only in, in special teams and in the slot, but you can use him. In a very in a very uh, various amount of ways, excuse me, where if you get him in the hands of a very creative offensive mind, he could be used all over the field, which I think is very uh, very good for him to have. Yeah, An- definitely. Another guy that can be used really kind of all over is my first guy, and what um, a segue! Holy shit! I know, right? Wasn't that good? <clears throat> and it's Kyle Duggar, the safety from Lenore Ryan. If you guys listened to the latest episode of the whole nine sports podcast, Brandon and Dylan made fun of me for falling in love with this safety. And they made fun of me all week that I was obsessed with this player, but I came in 
wanting to watch Kyle Duggar. I couldn't tell you why. I hadn't watched his film. I hadn't heard much about him. But I saw this big safety from Lenore Ryan on the roster. said, I'm going to fall in love with this guy. And the second that he stepped on the field, he was the most athletic and versatile defender on the South roster. Um, they used him in – he wanted to show off some punt return skills. Uh, the very first day, I think he muffed, like, his first three. But then after day one, he really started to pick it up and look a lot better in the return game. Um, but he's someone that – coming in after i saw him day one i went back and i watched his film and he being a d2 guy was excuse me the most uh athletic fast versatile player on the field because he went to lenor ryan and he's got d1 talent um and then you watch him against these d1 guys at the senior bowl and he still is the most athletic and versatile player on the defense and the main question with him transitioning from D2 to the NFL level was how is he going to catch up with the game speed? How is he going to match up with these other guys who got D1 offers for their athleticism? And he, he looked better than all of them. He actually forced uh, a fumble and got an interception this weekend or this past weekend in Mobile, which I believe were the only two turnovers in practice, if I if I remember correctly. I wasn't there I on think, day three, but I think those were the I only think there two. was one there was one I can't remember who the edge rusher was, but I do think that one guy forced a fumble on Steven Montez on a drop back and gotcha. we just didn't see it on the first two days. Gotcha. But he um, he's he's someone that I've fallen in love fallen in love with. Um I think he's got I think my grade on him was a round two player I think he's my safety four um but he's probably gonna go around round three um just because he is still a d2 player um but we uh we we both over here really do dig us some Kyle Duggar yeah man um if you're here for if you're hoping that me as the new co-host is here to uh kind of level josh out on this kyle duggar thing uh i'm sorry because i also love kyle duggar he's he's been he he's a guy that i came in i came into this week and i knew about him um but that's because i love small school prospects we're talking about like one here in a minute yeah like i i love small school prospects like way more than i should um but there's just something about him every year every year uh, and so I know he had like a feature length article on NFL.com that I read through all of before we came down here this week. I talked to him on media day. He seems like a really great guy. Um, he He's played all over the field during his career. He started out as a running back, actually, moved to wide receiver, then switched sides of the ball, moved to corner, moved to safety. And then teams had him playing a weak side linebacker in practice this week. And he said that while no teams had asked him to move back to corner, people had asked him to still be a return specialist. And I cannot imagine the absolute destruction that will occur if you have a linebacker returning punts oh, for yeah. you. It's ridiculous. And I think, I can't remember who this was, but I saw during the week at one point that someone had been, someone was saying, if Kyle Duggar was in an Alabama or an LSU or a Clemson helmet and he was on the field in Mobile, no one would bat an eye. Oh, yeah. That's how oh, athletic for sure. he looked and how, like, just, like, in place he looked. He, like, he did not look out of place at all as the D2 guy there. No, he reminds me of 
he's used a lot like Isaiah Simmons is oh, with yeah. Clemson. I think their skill sets are very similar. The difference is one was in a national title game, and the other one was a D2 guy. Um, yeah, but I do, and roughly you know, the same size, too. Like. Yeah, same size, same skill set. I think that uh, they're very similar, and one will go top 10, and the other one we'll see where teams have Duggar after uh, this past weekend, and then also if he gets a combine invite, um, how he will perform there. Switching. I can't imagine him not getting a combine Oh, especially this after point, this weekend, but... there's no way. Oh, yeah. um, switching gears here to Alex's second um, guy from the senior bowl that he fell in love with is another small school guy from St. John's, Minnesota. Um, Alex, Ben Barch. I love Ben Barch. Um, if, if you haven't looked at my Twitter in the last couple days. I've updated my Twitter bio to include the phrase Ben Barch fan account. <laughs> um, I love this guy. Um, and so do, so does everyone else from every account that I could find. Every, oh, yeah. I posted a ton of stuff on my Twitter during Senior Bowl week, during Media Day, from guys that I talked to. And the tweets that consistently got the most traction, got the most engagement, were all tweets about Ben Barch. Because people were just so excited that he was in this position, and people were so excited to just hear anything about how he looked, and he looked awesome. Um, I'd be lying to you if I said I had heard of him before this week, and I'm and I love small school guys, but like D three, that's that's a pretty deep cut. Um, I looked up a scouting report after day one, and it said like, yeah, he wins with power a lot, he wins with athleticism. And, but there were questions about how that was going to translate, obviously, as a D3 player coming in and you're facing SEC edge rushers. And he completely held his own. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the power looked like it was there. His, I think his technique is maybe a little bit on the raw side, but, I mean, he came to St. John's as a tight end. Yeah. So that's to be expected. And another guy that was just, like, super nice, super down to earth, had, like, 10 to 15 guys that I overheard him telling another reporter they were just like his best friends from college, from St. John's that had all come down to watch him every practice and for the game. And every time I talked to him, I talked to him a couple times during the week. He remembered my name every time. We saw him out on the street. He remembered my name that time. I talked to him after practice. He remembered my name every time. Just seems like a great guy, high character guy. He's going to interview very well. And I think that he helped his stock a ton this week. Everyone from Hole 9 really fell in love with Ben Barch. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't lucky enough to go to Media Day because of age restrictions. Because um, you were a baby. Because I'm a toddler over here at 18 years old. Second youngest guy in Mobile. Um, it's true. To do this. So, I mean, hell, I'm not going to complain about being able to do that. But... Um, he was someone that I had in my tentative rankings, and he was on my players to watch list for offensive linemen. But he was like twentieth on that Look list, so he wasn't he wasn't a priority. Um, and then after the week in Mobile, he moved up to my number three offensive tackle that I need to watch. He's not my third ranked offensive tackle, um, but he's third on my to watch list. Um, just because yeah, I think he's his your number one offensive is, tackle, right? He yeah, <laughs> he's uh. He's just a story that a lot of people are going to fall in love with throughout the draft process. Um, 
And like I said, me being a Minnesota boy, of course I've got a uh, soft spot for Ben Barch. My uncle actually went to St. John's, if I'm not mistaken. So there you um, go. As I'm already a big Ben Barch fan. Like I said, I think the technique will come with coaching. I think being a D3 guy, I think you can kind of expect him to be a little bit raw because the coaching yeah, in D3 is not top tier like Nick Saban. And especially as a D3 one. guy that wasn't playing tackle in high school. Absolutely. Um, but I think he's someone that definitely needs to be on the radar. Um, I think coming into the process, he was someone I was looking at probably like a fifth, sixth, seventh round. I think you could see him go late day two, very early day three um, in the draft. And I think teams are going to be very happy when they see his name on the board and they decide to take him. Absolutely. I chose another safety. Um, that was a horrible segue, but can't live up with the first two. Um, Listen, it's fine. <laughs> and uh, I went with Jalen Elliott, the safety at Notre Dame. Um, so for those of you guys that didn't follow us in Mobile, which you should, at Homeline Sports on Twitter, at JoshBerg0611, and at Alex Katzen, shameless plug right there. Um, I, uh, I'll tell you how to spell my name at the end of the episode. By right. The way. Um. Evan and I were, again, not lucky enough to be credentialed, so we were actually in the bleachers, which was still awesome because we had Jim Nagy on our left, the Saints scouting team on our on our right, and the Green Bay Packers behind us. So we still got to interact I will with say a bunch too, of cool people. Before you get going on this, that I feel like the bleachers were just as good of a view. Oh my god! Obviously, we got to go onto the field and talk to the guys after practice, but while you're standing like on the sideline, essentially trying to watch practice, like you got to be trying to look through people. You got like. I couldn't see half the stuff that was happening oh, yeah. it, to the point where like on the second day I just went up and sat in the bleachers anyway. Yeah, it was it was premier viewing. Um we were like in the third, fourth row of the bleachers and we got to see pretty much everything. And day two we had the DBs were like right in front of us. And Jalen Elliott stood out out of the safety group that was working out at the time. Um he was someone that looked incredibly fluid. His footwork was by far the fastest moving and the most polished out of the other DBs that were there. And they did this drill where it was basically they basically had to like turn to the left, turn to the right, check hip movement, and then they had to dart towards the football. Jalen Elliott, every other defensive back dropped the ball except for Jalen Elliott. And the way he snagged the ball out of midair just was super impressive which it sounds really like stupid that i'm describing it that way but it was just it was that impressive watching him look so strong and so fluid while these other guys were dropping passes and they kind of got off balance elliot just looked super sharp and he had a pretty good senior bowl game too um so he's he's someone that i really like in this safety class as well which is the safety class when i first looked at it i didn't think it was you know anything special you had delpit mckinney uh ashton davis and there was a big drop off but i'm starting to find this middle ground of guys like duggar and elliott that really make the safety class an intriguing one yeah definitely i think i was going to say the exact same thing about regarding the safety class i think that we came into this year and we said okay grant delpit top five talent after that, I don't really know. And it's kind of, while Delpit has kind of regressed from that top five talent evaluation in the preseason to where now, like, guys like Matt Miller are saying he's not even the, in the first round of Matt's next mock draft, 
I think the rest of this class. Yeah, I mean, you know, say what you will, but I think the rest of this safety class has really stepped up to the point where I see it as one of the strengths of this overall class now. Because like you said, you have these middle-tier guys like Duggar, like Elliot, like Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois, who are all just so different, and they can all fill a variety of roles. I think Elliot is probably the closest to a pure safety of the yep. middle-tier guys, but I think that he's someone that could even like drop down to nickel corner still and kind of like play that kind of like hybrid nickel safety role that we've seen Chauncey Gardner-Johnson play for the Saints and some other players fill for other teams. Um, Because he looked really good in man coverage this week. I thought him him on Bryson Hopkins this week was one of the better one-on-one matchups that we got to see over and over again. Um, But you pretty much covered it. I mean, looked super fluid, great ball skills, looked great in coverage. He's a guy that I didn't really have on my radar coming into this week, and he he's definitely on my watch list of like priority guys that had a good week in Mobile that now I have to go back and watch immediately. Oh, and Notre Dame had three DBs there this week, um, Gilman and Troy Pride Jr. And Troy Pride also had a pretty solid week too, but it was Elliott yeah. that really stood out out of the three um, Notre Dame And I Dame think he was the DBs. least heralded of the three too. Yeah, yeah. So I think that he's someone that, um, if you don't have on your radar, I think that he's someone that really needs to be um, up up there on your watch list, and you guys will see what Alex and I are talking about. Alex has one more guy here, and uh, everyone every year talks about the quarterbacks. And this year when we were entering uh, Mobile, um, the talk was about Justin Herbert, and everybody else. Obviously, you had your Jalen Hurts talk um, being in Alabama, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but there's actually another quarterback that actually looked a lot better than any of us at whole nine for sure anticipated. There is. And it's <laughs> it's probably not the name that people are expecting to hear. Um, we're not talking about Jordan Love. No. I'm here to talk to you about Shea Patterson, Shea Patterson. from Michigan. I listen. Shea Patterson's great. So I will preface this by saying I'm a Michigan fan. Both my parents went to the University of Michigan. My dad grew up with the Harbaugh family. He hates them, but he still grew <laughs> up with them. Um, so I'm a Michigan guy. That said, I hated Shea Patterson coming into this most. week. As did especially Michigan fans. Oh, yeah. Um, but he made some throws this week where I legitimately thought that it was someone else throwing the ball. (laughs) I thought either they put a body double into his Jersey and like just had him throwing, or I just like wasn't paying attention to who the quarterback on that rep was. And it was someone else. And then there were some reps where he looked like Shea Patterson. You know, I think in the game he had a pretty bad interception that he threw like straight to Kendall Vildor. Um, and in practice, he had a couple of those reps too, where it was just like, man, what are you doing? But we talked about this a lot when we were in the whole nine sports house in mobile where we, it's basically just like he had, ju- he has just enough reps where he looks like he could be a quality NFL quarterback that a team is going to convince themselves they can do it. 
And so I think he's going to go in like kind of like the fourth, fifth round, like early day three range, even if that's not necessarily like what the film tell, where the film tells us he should go, or where practices tells us he should go. And I think the team to do it might honestly be the Lions, the coaching staff that had him this week. Um, obviously, no disrespect to David Blau, who looked good when he came in, <laughs> but the Lions still need a backup quarterback behind Matt Stafford, and. If the Lions aren't convinced that David Blau is the guy to kind of groom as the future behind Matt Stafford, obviously, like, they might use a high draft pick on a quarterback either this year or next year or whenever Matt Stafford decides he's done. But I feel like they might just take a chance on making Shea Patterson more consistent because I think if he becomes more consistent and he keeps making those throws like some of the ones that we saw this week, that he's going to be a like low level starter caliber player in the NFL. He um, as crazy as that may sound. Right, right. He his story this year as far as where he's being talked about around draft circles kind of reminds me of Ryan Finley last year where a lot I hated of, Ryan Finley. I I did too. Um <laughs> good. A lot I don't have of, to quit the podcast. <laughs> a lot of inconsistency um, but Ryan Finley was still fourth round draft pick. Um, yeah. Whether we disagree or agree with it or not, there's no need to debate. I think I had an undrafted grade on Ryan Finley, but he's someone that I think is going to be Patterson. That is, is going to be drafted based on the flashes that we have seen. Um, because if yeah. he was consistent throughout an entire 12 game season at Michigan. He would Hell, be, just throughout, like, one entire game. Right. He would be talked about as maybe a second-round guy this year, um, and instead he's being talked about on day three. I I, um, I believe his best day was day three, if I'm not mistaken, for what you guys um, were talking about at the meetings. And I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't there, but I went back and watched some, some film of – Patterson on day three and he just made some throws that you would turn and look at the guy next to you and be like did that really just happen because it was that good of ball placement it was that good of a throw and then you'll see him overthrow a screen pass and you'll also look at yep. the guy next to you thinking what the hell is this guy doing so right you're I like think, how do you even get invited here yeah so I think that he is someone that's intriguing out of these second or third tier of quarterbacks I think he's the most intriguing because I think he can develop into something it's just can he show the potential that we think he can have on a consistent basis I'm not saying he's right. going to turn into Tom Brady that be, that gets drafted you know day three and turns into a hall of famer but if he can be like an Andy Dalton level starter in the NFL I think that that would be a win for Shea Patterson yeah, it almost reminds me of, like, the play style is not similar at all, so it's not like a player comp, but it almost reminds me of Drew Locke last year, where it was just, like, you could see where the ceiling was, and it was very clear that he was not at that ceiling, but teams were going to pick him based on getting him to that ceiling. And yeah. Shea Patterson's ceiling is a lot lower, but so it's still, like, if you can get Shea Patterson to that ceiling then that's maybe that's something that you value taking a chance on. Right. 
Uh, Drew Locke was my QB1 last year. Just want to point it out. He's looked really good in the games he started, and I hope he continues. But I also uh, live in Missouri. I had Drew Locke so. as, like, QB5, I think. Oof. Oof. It's all right. Daniel Jones is, like, my QB9, like so it's okay. I had Jared Stidham QB4. I did, too. So, we're Hell yeah. Look at that. He, Love we're, that. We were meant to host a podcast together. Um, there, there you go. Moving on to my final guy that I think came away really impressed with. First of all, the edge the edge guys in Mobile actually looked really good this week. There was, oh yeah, a, there was a couple different directions I could have gone with. Uh, Josh Uche out of Michigan was one of the names I was considering, but after watching the actual Senior Bowl game, I chose Bradley and I from Utah. Yeah, and he looked incredibly quick off the line of scrimmage. He had I think three sacks in the game if I'm not mistaken, and Uche had one. That sounds right, um, yeah. But he looked – I mean, the offensive line was not great in Mobile for either team in, uh, in practice or in the actual game. But Anai, if you're just watching the, the film, he just jumped off the tape. He had a lot of versatile um, moves that he could beat you with. And his conversion from speed to power was like – turning on and off a switch it just was that quick he could do a bunch of different things i think he he cemented himself as more of a 4-3 dn as opposed to a yeah 3-4 outside linebacker which i didn't think he was going to be anyways but there was talks from some people saying he could transition into a 3-4 i mean um, there were talks about at oliver playing middle linebacker that, last that year. is that is also <laughs> um but i just he uche um excuse me Anai doesn't have the the coverage ability to be a outside linebacker i don't think he ever will i think he's going to be your standard 4-3 um d end but i think what impressed me the most about him is just the different ways he could beat you um like i said the the conversion from speed to power jumped off but he also would beat you with a chop or a push or a bull rush he just was able to beat you with a bunch of different ways and again, maybe it was just the offensive line was not great in Mobile, but he also showed it on tape as well with 13 sacks. So he's someone that I think should be getting late round one buzz, but is probably going more, um, going to be probably top to middle round two. And I think that if he's put in the right defensive scheme and used to his strengths, he's going to be someone that can be very dangerous at the next level. Yeah, actually the... Uh... The first day that we were in Mobile, when the three of us that were old enough <clears throat> went to go pick up our credentials at the hotel, um, Dylan, who writes about the Pac-12 for Whole Nine, was saying, "Yeah, you guys gotta watch out for Nye. You guys gotta watch out for Nye. He's a monster. He's a monster." And I was kind of like, "Really? Like, because <clears throat> through this season, I thought the calling card for that Utah defense was the secondary, right. obviously." With Jalen Johnson on the outside, with Julian Blackman and Terrell Burgess, shout out. Uh, at safety, <clears throat> you know, like that was kind of like their bread and butter. And then, like, on the interior, you had Lucky Fotu, who was immobile, but unfortunately wasn't able to practice of, because of an injury. So I was kind of like, this is kind of like the third, fourth, fifth guy on the Utah defense, like, in terms of like prospect value. Yeah. Like, you're telling me to watch out for this guy? And. I mean, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, he looked great. I think um, we were lucky enough to get tape of all the practices, and I went back and watched some of it. And he, I don't think I watched a rep where he lost. 
Yeah. In all three days of practice. Poor Terrence Steele. Yeah, man. It was was rough for him. But it it is really interesting because the Utah guys, as you mentioned, that we were, like, accustomed to hearing about was Jalen Johnson and Terrell Burgess and Lecky Fotu. But I think the two most impressive guys in – from the Utah defense this week at Mobile was Bradley and I and Francis Bernard. So oh, absolutely. This Utah I mean, team this really is, was a really good This Utah is kind team of an aside year. because this is a segment about Bradley and I, but Francis Bernard was incredible. I mean, we I came back. Charts. Yeah. And <clears throat> um, so for those of you that weren't there or maybe don't know, um, the Senior Bowl had a film suite set up for us. The media could go in and watch film of the practices after they ended. And so we went just to go and check it out. And we watched Francis Bernard point out every single play direction for like five plays in a row on day two of practice. Like he'd been in the system for 36 hours and he was already directing traffic. And he wasn't always the one making the play, but the guys that he was moving were the ones making the play. And so, like, I don't know how high his stock is going to get just because, like I said, he's not the one making the plays. But as just, like, a high IQ, like, I think he's going to be, like, a scout team star. Because I think he's going to end up being, like, a day three guy. And I think he's going to be on the scout team for the first couple years. And he's going to be an animal. Oh, I I completely agree. And if you're watching him on film, you see the same exact things. But... What was so impressive is he'd been in that defense for a day and a half, and he was already right. calling things out, making changes, and reading what the offense was giving him. And I think that's what was most impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to end the Senior Bowl talk on this. Um, what was your biggest takeaway or biggest storyline that you left Mobile with, Alex? So my biggest storyline, we're going to talk about small school guys some more. Um, My biggest storyline was something that we didn't really get to see manifest in person. I guess maybe you did, but um, the three of us that were credentialed for the game, we left before the actual game happened. We heard from people that you got to stay for the games. We're going to stay for the game next year, but this year we missed it. Um, But my storyline that I wanted to talk about was all of Adam Troutman's teammates coming to Mobile to watch him in the game. And I talked to him on media day and he mentioned that his coaches were already there. His coaches were there the whole week. I know Dylan got a chance to speak with them. I saw them walking around. Um, And I think it just speaks to like what kind of a guy Adam Troutman must be. And that was kind of reflected when I talked to him of just like, he seems like, again, these small school guys just seem like great people and I think they're going to interview very well. Not to mention the fact that Troutman had a great day, of, had a great week of practice. Yep. Um, <clears throat> that raised his stock, I thought, a ton. But just the fact that so many, like his entire team, I, at least from what it sounded like from me, like reading about it, came down to support him and watch the actual game that he was playing in, and also just the culture at Dayton that must be being built there. Um. Where, like, if we're getting more guys out of Dayton the next couple of years, which who knows if we do. Um, but if we are, like, I think we can pretty safely say that those are all going to be high-character guys that are going to contribute to the culture, be a great locker room guy from day one, 
And that's something that matters to NFL teams. Oh, you know, sure. like we can, like, obviously we're not part of any NFL scout personnel department or anything. We just, you know, sit at home and watch film for fun. And so we, you know, it's easy to dismiss the off field stuff that comes with prospects, you know, as long as it's not like arrests or suspensions or something right. like it's easy to dismiss the positive off field stuff because it's just like, Oh, well, how does he look on tape? But NFL teams care about that kind of stuff. I think you saw that a lot last year with the Raiders taking Colin Farrell at four and then taking, you know, taking these big school guys that they thought were going to contribute to like this big culture change. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's going to continue to matter to more and more teams. And so to see that from Dayton and from Adam Troutman was just really cool to see. And I think it's going to help him out even more than his, right? Maybe not even more, but, you know, in addition to the week of practice that he had. Well, and I remember watching an interview clip talking about how he had opportunities to go other places, but he wanted to stay at Dayton right. and be at Dayton. So that says not, not just about the school, but also says about the dedication and loyalty and type of person that Adam Troutman really uh, displays in the type of person that he is. He's going to make an NFL team extremely happy, as are a lot of the tight ends that were at the Senior Bowl. This is a really good tight end class, which I didn't anticipate heading into the Senior Bowl week, but they looked really good. Oh, today. yeah, absolutely. I think it I think it kind of is the same thing as this safety class, right? Oh, like, for sure. Bef- before this week, and I had seen like a little bit about it where it was just like, oh, if you think this tight end class sucks, like you just haven't watched enough guys. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't know about that. Um, but I think like coming into senior bowl week, it was basically like, okay, you got Bryson Hopkins, you got Cole Komet, who's played tight end for like two years because he was playing baseball. And then you got Thaddeus Moss, who's Randy Moss's kid. And so it's like, how good are those second and third guys, number one? But number two, what do you have after that? Like, you have a bunch of guys that can do one thing but not another. And so people were like, oh, this tight end class sucks. But I thought every tight end that was in Mobile looked good. I thought they all yeah. looked like guys I would want to take, like, you know, day two, early day three. Obviously, tight end's not really a position of value. And so I'm not really sure how many of them are, like, if any of them are going to end up going on day one. But there's a ton of guys who I'd be perfectly fine with taking in the second round, in the third round, even like in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And I think that it's it's not a top-heavy class, but it's a very deep and it's a very like sure. equal class. Well, and I think the thing that stood out to me the most in Mobile was they all were used both in line and as a receiver, and a lot right. of them showcased that were receiving tight ends, showcased that they can block or are willing to work in line and become a better blocker, which I think speaks to, again, the volume of this class and the determination that they have to get better. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Someone else that has a really big chip on his shoulder, um, and is my biggest storyline, is Jalen Hurts. Now, I think we both can agree Jalen Hurts had a very rough and -and up-and-down week in Mobile. Um, Yeah, Day one, he looked out of place. He looked out of sync. He didn't look all the way there. But I mean, to be frank, he looked like the worst quarterback at an event that had Shea Patterson and Steven Montez in that's, it. That's exactly it. Um, but walking around the streets of Mobile and talking to a bunch of people, whether it was in the stands or people that, you know, when we were ordering pizza and they would talk to us, 
ask us what we were doing. We'd mentioned the Senior Bowl, and because it was in Alabama, every single one of them would mention Jalen Hurts and how excited that they were to see Jalen Hurts. And it yeah. speaks to the high character that he is. And no, he didn't have the best weekend. Um, he, at times, he still struggled with struggled with ball placement and accuracy. He had math footwork. It it was a rough week for him. But seeing him do all the media that he had to do, because again, he's an Alabama guy. He right. got to do. Uh, he was there the first day uh, for media day with. Jim Nagy's press conference. He did media day. He went to um, an elementary school, <clears throat> middle school, to say hi to some kids. He had cameras all over him after all the practices. So he was a very busy guy. And seeing the dedication that he has to this, the uh, state of Alabama and the city of Mobile, that um, and he still was the same guy that you see, you know, you saw at Alabama and Oklahoma, super down to earth, humble guy who's trying to prove people wrong. And he just, he, to me, I took away more about Jalen Hurts as a person than I did as a football player in Mobile, which isn't a bad thing. No, absolutely not. And I think, too, like, day day three of practice, there not a lot of people were able to go to that practice because it was closed to the public. Um, A lot of media members ended up not being able to get in because of space constraints because it was indoors. Well, indoors. Um... But when we got out of practice, there was an entire, like, class of elementary school kids just waiting outside the gate to meet Jalen Hurts. And I didn't really register why we why they were there at the time because I we were on our way out. And I was just like, oh, man, there's, like, 40 kids here. I wonder what they're here for. And then I saw a video later, and I was like, oh, those kids were all there for Jalen Hurts. And the thing was, too, is, like, we saw some guys – like Justin Herbert is the guy that comes to mind where he he said early in the week at least his agent said I don't I'm not really sure if it was his agent or if it was him but he basically said he wasn't going to do any media beyond what was like absolutely required of him during right. that week and Jalen Hurts every every time you turned your head Jalen Hurts was doing another media thing he was doing another interview he was doing another like uh, charity event. He was doing another this, another that, another this. He must have had the busiest week of anybody that was in Mobile. And so for that reason, like I can't really even fault him for not looking necessarily like as great as we wanted him to on the field because he must have just been exhausted. Oh, for sure. And you could tell that I very mean, first day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even on the first day when he came to that introductory press conference, he seemed like he was tired. Yeah. And that's like I don't like I don't know if he was or not. But I w- it wouldn't surprise me if he was because it seemed like he had already been doing so much work and not even necessarily work, just so much giving back to that community and to those people that had embraced him as the starting quarterback at Alabama, obviously, before you had Tua come in at halftime of that national championship game. And to all those people that still embraced him and supported him and respected his decision when he decided to transfer, when it was made clear that Tua was going to be the guy going forward. He, like you said, it just spoke to, it spoke a lot about who he is as a person. And I wouldn't be shocked if an NFL team drafts him high just to have him in the locker room. Now, I'm not saying take Jalen Hurts round one to have him in the locker room because 
that's not how teams work. But he's someone, whether you think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback or you think you should transition to a Taysom Hill role or whatever, you cannot deny this man's love for the game, love for others, right. and the type of person that he's going to bring into a locker room. I could see a team, like we, we mentioned him earlier, I think could see a team like Oakland just taking a chance on him in the second or third round. I was round, just going to say, bringing I, him like in. My, my sneaky pick is I think the Raiders have, I don't know if it, I forget, I think it's in the third round where they have back-to-back picks. Yes, yep. But either with one of with their second rounder or with one of those two back-to-back picks, it would not surprise me if the Raiders decide to take Jalen Hurts yep. and just kind of groom him behind Derek Carr for a couple of years and see what they can get just to have him in the room. Because it seems like, like you said, it seems like a team that would do it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think what I learned the most this week is the Senior Bowl is not just about on field performance which i mean it it is and you can talk to any scout that was there any media guy the most important part of mobile is the seeing and talking to the type of people that these players are we kind of forget that they're human beings um when we're sitting at home and putting them under a microscope and saying they have good footwork bad footwork and we go through all this pros and cons list and kind of put like a label on them with a grade but seeing the amount of people i mean all the people that we just mentioned were super high character and down to earth oh yeah guys that you would want in your locker room and it just speaks to the volume of the uh what Jim Nagy did in Mobile was fantastic I know I had a great time and I can't wait to keep going back every single year oh yeah me neither man and I think too just like like you said just the off the field stuff that we forget about a lot of times especially like as as fans too like watching the games you forget that like these guys are people too and like you kind of get it obviously like I go to University of Washington I'm in classes with some of the football players. I see football players all over campus all the time, and that kind of humanizes them. But nothing humanizes people more than just being able to talk to them and just realizing that, like, oh, X guy has a really good sense of humor. X guy, you know, X guy has just a really good personality. X guy is just, like, a fun guy that I want to be around. Like, that's not really stuff that we consider. And I think that that's, like I was saying earlier about Troutman, I think that that's something that NFL teams weight pretty heavily. I think so, too. Um, that was a super long talk about the Senior Bowl. Um, but it, that I just mean, shows how much fun Alex and I yeah. had down there this entire week. It was by far the best experience I've had in a long time. And because of being in Mobile, um, we both have had a lot of various opportunities come our way. A bunch of people connect with us both media player scout whatever it was that we had a lot of fun and made a lot of connections with so if you guys ever do get the chance to go down to mobile jim Nagy has done a fantastic job down there um having the parade and the amount of talent that he brought in for both on and off the field um i know matt patricia and zach taylor didn't put always put on the best practices primarily matt patricia but they both <laughs> genuinely felt that i felt they enjoyed being down there um, for the week, yeah. whether they'd rather be in the Super Bowl or not. Um, I think they genuinely had a great experience down there with the kids, and I can't wait to continue to go down there with everyone from Hole 9 um, from this year forward. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. I think we're going to have even more people down there next year. I think so, too. Um, I'm I'm already excited. Let's, I, let's I do it. I can't wait. 
transitioning here to one of our other segments, um, Alex and I kind of just came up with this one randomly when we were planning the episode out a couple nights ago. And um, we're going to call this the Scouts Report. Um, basically, every couple episodes or every episode, whether, whatever we decide, we're going to go through and give our, uh, basically a scouting report on a specific player that we randomly chose. Um, I've chosen... Well, not randomly. We did both choose underclassmen, so that, we didn't that, talk so we about didn't the senior bowl for another senior hour. Bowl guys, yeah, because um, otherwise I would have picked Kyle Duggar again and just would have gone nuts and yeah, gotten a bunch of crappy reviews. It would be a three-hour-long podcast. Right. It would have been bad. Um, but I actually did choose another safety. I must be really obsessed with the safety class, but I hey, chose man, Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, the guy that seems like he's been in college forever with Minnesota, he has. but, um, yeah, he, he has, he, he's um, been in college as long as I have. He is, I believe a redshirt sophomore, but he's been in college for like Technically, four yes. years. So, um, if you don't know who he is, he is the son of, 14-year NFL vet and former Minnesota Viking Antoine Winfield. Um, Is that why you picked him also? Yes, because his dad yes, played for the Vikings. Because his dad played for the Vikings. That's exactly why I picked him. Because um, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. In case y'all didn't know, send me Blair Walsh memes, please, because that's kind of just everyone's go-to talking about the Vikings. Um, but I chose Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, a lot of people didn't know if he was going to declare or not. I know Matt Miller kept him off of his rankings until he knew for sure, but as a guy that's, I think, what, 24? I don't know. I don't have his age right in front of me, but as oh, an older... Oh, how old he is? Yeah. I got it. One second. As Keep an talking. older redshirt sophomore, we kind of figured he would declare being uh, older and not being in college for two more years would have just killed his draft stock because no one wants to draft a 27-year-old rookie. Um, Anton Winfield's only 21. Is he really? He's only a couple weeks older than I am. Well, I'll be damned. I'm wrong. Never mind. But Anyways. But he's been in college for four years. He's been in college for four years. So um, he would have been like 24 if he had come out right. at the end of his eligibility. Which just wouldn't have been smart. Um, right. He's someone well, that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the safety class. Um, but he's someone that I feel has one of the highest, if not the highest upside because of his versatility he can play in both single high and man coverage and he's got athleticism to move him in various spots i think he um he you can see him transition to a nickel role if you wanted to um because he's got really good man skills um and he's a pretty solid tackler i currently have a uh, late two early round three on him but i wouldn't be shocked at all if someone took a shot on him early round two He's not the fastest guy on the on the field. I wouldn't necessarily call him like a snail. Like he's not slow, but he doesn't have that next gear that really that for example like a guy like Kyle Duggar had where you really just you snap the right. finger and he's gone. He's just he's more he's a quick guy. He's not a fast guy is how I yeah. described him in my notes. But he's someone that when you look at at his production, it's especially this past year. He had a, a tremendous year this past year. I thought he should have won the Jim Thorpe Award, but yeah, maybe well, that's maybe that's just me. But <laughs> Grant Delpit, shout out Grant Delpit. Yeah, right. Grant Delpit didn't have the best year. Still a really good prospect. Didn't have the best year. Um, but yeah. I think when you look at 
Winfield. He's just someone that you can use in multiple spots. He's going to be a playmaker regardless of if you have him as a safety, a guy in the run support, or you put him in the slot as a nickel. Um, he's just someone that reads the, the offense extremely well. I liked his ability to read the quarterback, which I maybe I just prioritize it more than others, but I always want to see my safeties looking at the QB's eyes and moving based on where yeah. he thinks the QB is going to go. Um, I think it just shows incredible high IQ and an ability and understanding of your role defensively. So I think he's someone, like I said, I'm just loving the safety class apparently, but I think he's someone <laughs> that I almost picked Kayvon Wallace for this too, but he was in the senior bowl. So it yeah. would have been another safety anyway. You can do him next episode. I, I might have to do that. Um, but I think Winfield, maybe it's just my bias because his dad was a Viking and he went to Minnesota University. But I, I think he's a really good chance to be one of the steals of this draft. Yeah. I think for Winfield, at least, like, you're talking about how smart of a player he is. And obviously, he's the son of a former NFL player. And I think that that gives you a huge advantage mentally. Um, I would hope so, so there's that part of it, at least. So, like, you know you're getting a guy who knows the game of football. Um, I think the main thing for him, though, is just whether or not he's going to be able to stay healthy. Yeah. Obviously, we, we've talked about he's in his fourth year of college. He's a redshirt sophomore. Both of those two years that he missed are due to injury. And I don't know exactly what those injuries are because I haven't really dove into his tape yet and, like, done my background report on him and done all this all the work on him that I need to do. But if he can stay healthy, I think you're right. I think he's going to be an impact player. I think he's going to be one of those guys like a mid-round version of like a Jalen Smith or a Miles Jack are the examples that come to mind from the last couple of years where it's like the talent is there for them to be a much higher pick, but because of injury concerns, they're going to kind of fall down boards and end up as a player that someone gets in like the third round or something like third, fourth round, depending on how he tests and how he looks on at the combine and how he looks on his pro day and everything. And then he's going to get into an NFL training camp and immediately like, we're going to be hearing in August, like, Oh man, Antoine Winfield jr. Is going to steal like the, a starting safety spot for this team. And he's going to be an impact player. I think as long as he can stay healthy. And I don't know if he can, we're going to see. It was a, uh, <clears throat> ligament in his foot that took him out last year um i couldn't find the year before but it was a foot injury that happened in a non-contact incident in a game mm. last year so like i said that's definitely something to keep an eye on i just think his upside is just massive i don't think yeah, he has the definitely. upside that smith or jack did which were your two examples because i think both those guys were top 10 on my board yeah when they, of course uh, when they were in their respective draft classes, but he is hard to remember mid round guys off the top of the head. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think he's someone that if you draft Winfield and he stays healthy, he could be a day one starter. Yeah, I think so. Um, speaking of guys that can be day one starters, look at that transition. Um, yeah, look at that. fire. Yeah. Crazy. This is going to be a great podcast. Um, the guy that I picked is James Lynch from Baylor. Um, guy that, I don't think a lot of people expected to declare. Um, I didn't really expect him to declare, even though he won won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was a consensus All-American this year. And I think most people still didn't expect him to declare. I know the draft network doesn't even have him on their board still. I don't don't know if Matt Miller has him. 
That's true. The Draft Network hates Baylor. You heard it here first. Um, I don't know if Matt Miller has him on his board right now. Um, but I think he, he has been asked about it on Twitter. I think I remember seeing, and he did say that Lynch is a top 50 player on his board. And I think that's about where he's going to land for me too. He's just so insanely productive. Um, Baylor runs a three, four. So he kind of plays like a, again, this is not a player comp. Please don't attack me on Twitter for calling James Lynch this player. But the kind of like position that he plays is kind of like that J.J. Watt 3-4 end where he's still rushing the passer primarily, but he's playing basically inside in like a 3-4 scheme. Um, 13 and a half sacks this season. Um, I think that probably led the Big 12. He also had, um, where is it? 41 total tackles, 13 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, 13 additional quarterback hurries, and five pass breakups. So he's impacting the game all over the place. He also blocked two field goals. So um, he's a monster. I, like I said, most people haven't expected him, didn't expect him to declare, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about him for this segment. Um, I think once Matt Rule left, it was kind of like the writing was on the wall. He didn't really want to be part of like a rebuilding program. We saw a couple other Baylor players declare for that same reason. Graylin Arnold comes to mind, who I might have to talk about next time we do this because he's also not getting talked about enough. Just keep choosing um, Baylor guys at this point until the Draft Network ranks them. Yeah, Just keep honestly, choosing Baylor guys. Um, for those of you that don't know, I write I wrote about the Big Twelve this season for Whole Nine, so I'm tuned into these Big Twelve guys. Um, Lynch is a guy who I think is absolutely going to make an impact on day one. What position that's going to be from is kind of my question about him right now. Yeah. Um, he, like I said, he played three, four end at Baylor. I think you could move him outside to four, three end if you really wanted to, or I think you could play him at, like I said, that kind of like JJ Watt ish position where he's rushing the passer from a three, four defensive end alignment. Um, I don't really think it matters that much. I think he's going to be productive either way. Um, he's just so powerful. And there's not really a lot else to his game, really. I mean, he's very powerful and he's very athletic, at least from what I saw watching Baylor live. I haven't really gotten a chance to dig into his tape because I don't watch underclassmen until the senior bowl ends. Um, but he's a guy that... I think he's going to be on the board in round two, round three. And if I'm a team that needs pass rush presence, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to mind if they don't draft an edge rusher in the first round. Um, The Tennessee Titans, if they don't draft an edge rusher in the first round, which I think in a lot of our mocks that we've had, I know you and I have talked about the Titans pick at 29 is pretty hard because the top end edge guys are always gone. And And so it's like, what are you going to do with that pick? And we both think they're bringing back Derrick Henry. So you can't slot a running back in that spot. So yeah, Tennessee's a pain to mock. And so it's like, if that is how the draft breaks down, come the real thing where all the top end edge guys are off the board and Tennessee can't take an edge at 29 without it being a reach. I think that that's another good fit. Um, where again, he'd be kind of playing three, four end in the Titan system. Um, just a really, really good player. I know people have concerns about his technique because like I said, he's just so powerful that he was just kind of running through people in the big 12. 
Um, I'm not that concerned about it, to be honest. I think he's he's kind of like in a defensive version of Logan Stenberg in my eyes, where it's like his technique may not be the best, but he wins reps. And to be honest with you, if you win reps, and I think it's something where you can win reps doing that same stuff in the NFL, I don't really care if your technique isn't like picture perfect. Right, like it's like if you're a good player, you're a good player. Well, and that's, that's like I'd rather take just a guy that produces and a guy that is just like I know is a good football player over a guy that I know is technically sound. And that's what makes our job kind of a pain, um, because we come up with these grading skills and we grade on all these specific attributes, like hand right. usage and footwork. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, if you can win against NFL level offensive linemen, regardless of how you're moving your feet or how you're shifting inside or outside. It it, it doesn't matter right. if you can win. So his grade in a certain category might not speak to where he should be drafted because the production and the amount of – I mean, he's Baylor's all-time leading sack leader. Um, yeah, and he's and a he, junior. He led the Big 12 with 12 and a half sacks. The next guy had seven. So yeah. he was dominant this year. I have – very little concerns uh, with him. I think he's just a solid, like, stamp him in the second round player. I don't think he can get much higher than that. I don't think he'll go really much lower than that. I think he's, yeah. like, stamped solid mid to late round two player. And I just think that someone's just going to get a winner in James Lynch. Yeah. He just he just wins reps, as you said, no matter um, right. whether he has rough technique or a soft base or whatever whatever your knock is on james lynch he'll just he'll still find a way to beat you which i think is going to make a team very happy absolutely he strikes me as a guy that's going to have a very divided evaluation i think in this process because there are going to be people like me and like you and like brandon i know that are going to be like look at his production look at the way he wins reps on film and tell me that that won't work in the nfl and there's going to be guys who are who put a lot of weight on the technique and right and rightfully so i don't mean to say like technique isn't important at all ever um so there are going to be guys who say i don't like his technique i don't like the way he does this i don't like the way he does that and so he's like a fourth fifth round guy for me and so it's going to be interesting to see where he actually ends up going in april um i think another team it's kind of like the lazy pick but the panthers with matt rule in charge now yeah. i think are a team that fits because all of their defense, all of their defensive linemen are free agents. They run a three-four, like they're bringing the defensive coordinator from Baylor, Phil Snow, Snow over. So, yeah, they're gonna run the same system. Like having a guy in there that already knows the system and is gonna step in as your day one starter, that might be something that he's looking for. Can and so, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. Like I said, it's kind of a lazy pick as far as like a team fit goes, but it wouldn't surprise me. God, can you imagine if? Carolina stays at seven and takes Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw and then takes Lynch in the second round. That would be nasty. Are the Chargers on the Panthers' schedule next year? Because if that happens, I do not (laughs) want to play them. I don't know. I I hope not. I'm too lazy to look it up. But that that would just be extremely scary front. Oh, yeah. It'd be be terrifying. But, yeah, I think that Lynch is going to just, like I said, he's just going to make a team extremely happy. Um, regardless of where he's taken. Yeah. 
Moving on to our final segment. I know, very crappy transition again, but what can I say? I'm out of creativity. It's almost 2 a.m. here, so... Yeah, it's it's getting late. It's and it is our mock draft review. This is actually something that Alex came up with. Um, I basically told him when I brought him on as a ghost, I said, this is your show, too. Come up with segments. We'll discuss them, figure out what's best. And he came up with the segment. I said, I can't believe I never thought of that on my own. It's basically <laughs> just crapping over all of the media scouts from ESPN or NFL Network or wherever and just judging them on their picks. So we yeah. collectively picked three picks that we loved from the mock and three picks that we would change. And we this week we chose Daniel Jeremiah's mock, who um, dropped his 1.0 our, our last day in Mobile, I believe. Got, um, got a lot of attention. It for, did. Uh, it, it was – we were all sitting – um, at a pizza place, and Dylan, I think, looked at it. So did you Shout see, out Marcos. Did you see uh, Daniel Jeremiah's mock? And I looked at it and said, yeah, you don't want to read it. And he pulled <laughs> it up, and he's just sitting there reading all these picks, and we're all just looking at him. Um, it definitely created some talking points, but there was some really good fits regardless of the mock, and I think the purpose of mock drafts is not necessarily to try and predict what teams are going to do, but it's to kind of, at least for me, I kind of like to play around with a bunch of different things um, and try to see how different scenarios turn out. Um, like the latest mock that I was doing just last night, just because of the amount of boringness that I got from having, okay, Burrow going one, Young going two, Tua going trading up to three. So I kind of just was messing around, and I have Tua going to Detroit in one of the mocks <laughs> I was just messing around with, just because I wanted to see what it was. So I think yeah, that that's to what... See, just to see how the rest of the draft turned out. see how the rest out. of the draft turned out, and I think that's something that a lot of analysts do. Um, with that being said, that does not mean I would not change anything, and that starts at number four with Makai Becton. Going to the Giants, um, funny story, a lot of us in Mobile, and if you listen to the whole Nine Sports podcast, Dylan was walking around calling him Mecky Becton the entire week, and I, I knew it was wrong, but I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> I just kept letting him say Mecky Becton all week, and it was the funniest thing ever. You just, he was at 2 also calling him Jedrick, Jedrick Willis. Yeah, he was saying Jedrick Willis. And was Willis like, why do you guys keep calling Becton. him Wills? Um, we, we'd just be sitting there playing Madden at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, and he'd see Makai Becton get taken in uh, the draft and just go, Mecky Becton. And it was it, it was just funny. Um, <laughs> we, I know both me and Alex on our latest mocks, which you can find on whole9sports.com. I was uh, this past week, and he was the week before. And we both mocked the Giants taking an offensive tackle. We know Dave Gettleman likes his offensive yeah, linemen. We both know that they have a need at at both tackle spots. Um, Mackie Becton over here is not the fourth overall pick. I don't even think he's a top four offensive tackle. I think he's got a lot of traits that teams will fall in love with that I think he's going to get a lot of round one love um, just because he's so massive. But I think there are a lot better options than Makai Becton at pick number four for the Giants. Whether Andrew Thomas is my offensive tackle one or not, currently is Jedrick Wills. I think they would take Thomas over Wills just because I think Thomas has got a couple more defining traits that have him almost, and he's played left tackle the entire time. 
Um, yeah. So I think that he's just someone that I think would fit with the Giants. I just don't think Becton is the fourth overall pick. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I haven't watched all of his film yet, so I can't give a right. definitive um, evaluation on him. But currently he's my offensive tackle five behind uh, Wills, Thomas, Werfs, and Josh Jones, who also had a very good week in Mobile. Um, so I think that having the fifth offensive tackle going four overall is a little rich for me. Yeah, I think... To me, Becton strikes me as a player who is very athletically gifted and he's very technically raw. And I don't think that that's a player that you take number four overall. Um, I think that it's very possible that he ends up going in the first round. Whether or not you think he should is a different question. He's probably going to end up being my offensive tackle four behind the big three of Wills, Werfs, and Thomas. Um, I think the main thing... For people to keep in mind, like if you haven't watched Makai Becton's film and you've just seen things on Twitter about him, is like those reps that get posted to Twitter of Makai Becton's film are insane. He's killing people. He he threw a guy off screen in one of the clips yeah. I saw. Like it's nuts. But that's not what all of it looks like, right? No. Like there are reps where he gets beat and he gets beat pretty bad. And to me, like. Obviously, like we can meme all we want, but the Giants are taking an offensive tackle. I don't. I'm pretty sorry, confident Brandon. in saying that. Yeah, sorry, Brandon. I think if they take one, it'll probably be Thomas because, like you said, he's the most polished and he's played left tackle the whole time. If it were me, I'd take Wills. I would too. Um, I think he's the most powerful in the run game. Um, the Giants obviously want to establish the run. They have Saquon Barkley in their backfield. Wills is the most powerful in the run. I think he can play left tackle. He mostly played right tackle at Alabama, but I don't see any problems with moving him to left tackle. Well, I think the key thing to note there is he played right tackle, but he was also protecting to his blind side because to his left-handed Yeah, player. exactly. So the transition um, shouldn't be too different moving from the right. right side to the left because he still was the blind side protector in college. Right. It's mostly just about mirroring the footwork and the right. hand usage and, and like the technique aspects of it, which I feel like he can do because if you watch Wills's film, he's ridiculously agile for a man oh, of yeah. his size. Like he's athletically gifted in his own right. He's probably not as athletically gifted as Becton is, but Becton is like from another planet. He's just super technically raw. Um, so like I said, I don't, think that that's really necessarily a player that you'd take four overall. I think I'd rather take Wills or even Thomas, maybe Werfs. Um, you know, I don't I don't love Werfs as OT1, which would be the situation in that draft, but I could see it happening. Um, but Becton is a little – it's a little too – it seems like – it seems a little bit too much like buying into the hype. Yeah, I would agree. And let's face it, I think if you and I were both in charge of the Giants, we would take Isaiah Simmons for overall, no questions asked. Absolutely, no That's question. Where Dave Gettleman is still in New York. Once again, I'm sorry, Brandon, but it is what it is. Hopefully um, we can get a job as his computer folk. Maybe, maybe, right? The the computer <laughs> nerds over here in yeah. Big Apple. Uh, transitioning to another pick that we kind of scratched our head at is an interesting choice because it's not the first time I've seen it. Um, and that's Patrick Queen yeah. to the Raiders at 19. 
Uh, Queen is someone that I know I didn't expect to declare. Um, I thought he would have been one of the few staples at LSU. Um, but once everyone started leaving, he just kind of jumped ship too. Um, there's literally no one but Jamar Chase there anymore. So it's going to be interesting LSU to watch next year. But Queen is someone that is kind of floating. And he's kind of like James Lynch in a sense where you he's kind of varies where people have him. Um, yeah. Some people have him as a top 15, top 20 player. Others have a round two, round three grade on him. Again, he's another guy that I haven't watched all of his film. Um, he's someone that is very athletic, and he's very quick. The Raiders do need a linebacker. I just think that Kenneth Murray here would have been a much better choice at 19 if they were going the linebacker route. Yeah, I literally had to go back and look at it just now because I was like, is Kenneth Murray already off the board in this situation? And he's not. He goes a 28 to the Ravens. I have been pounding the table for Kenneth Murray as the next linebacker after Isaiah Simmons basically the whole year. I think that Kenneth Murray is a fairly complete player. I know people have had some concerns about the way that he looks in zone coverage. Um I personally am not that worried about it. I think he looks good in shallow zones. I don't really know how often you're going to drop him further back than that. Um, I think that Queen is a Queen kind of strikes me as kind of the same reasoning as the Beckton pick, right? Of like he had a really good national championship game, and all of a sudden people were talking about him as this like high-profile prospect that was just like a surefire first-round pick. And it's like if you go back and you watch the rest of the season, I don't know that he's the same player that people think that he is. And so this is another one where it kind of strikes me as just like very reactionary, very like over the top reactionary of just like, Oh, he had one good game. Like, Oh, people are talking about him. Like I'm going to put him here. Um, Like you said, the Raiders need a linebacker. They need athleticism in kind of that like middle of the field role on their defense. That's somewhere where they struggled a lot last year. They brought in a lot of veterans, and I don't think that they really worked out that well. I I would really like for them to add – I mean, I wouldn't because I'm a Chargers fan. But if I was a Raiders fan or if I was the Raiders, I'd want to add someone in the middle of the field to kind of roam sideline to sideline, be able to make plays. Kenneth Murray is that guy to me. Um, he's a very instinctual player, makes – He's almost too instinctual in that, like, he, he yeah, will sit back until the last possible moment so that he knows exactly where the play is going before he decides to attack. And sometimes that leaves him out of position. But I think if you can clean that up a little bit, you know, teach him to play deeper zone, I think that he's a first-round talent, no question. And yeah, I think I'm... that he's better a better fit there. Yeah, I'm in, the, I'm in the exact same boat. My main concern with him is he has insane instincts, but sometimes it causes him to be out of position and kind of fall behind on the play a little bit but there's no doubting his natural athleticism speed and range that he possesses i just think he'd be a great fit in oakland they they have a thing vegas you're right vegas that's that's gonna take a while getting used to that really it's gonna take a second yeah lvr over here on our spreadsheet Um, yeah but looking at the Raiders' draft history last year, Farrell and uh, Trayvon Mullen, they like these guys that were big-time players at big-time schools. And although Queen, 
Queen went to LSU, who won yeah, the national I mean, championship. Yeah, I was just about to say, Queen does fit that mold. But I think that Murray's impact on Oklahoma's defense, if you take Murray off the field, that Oklahoma defense completely fell apart. He was yeah. their quarterback, their captain. He was the guy that really allowed the first and third levels to kind of do their thing because he was in the middle doing a bunch of different aspects. While at Queen with LSU, he had Chase on up front and Delpit and Fulton in the secondary. So he wasn't asked to be the guy um, as far as leading the charge on defense. So if he goes to Oakland, Vegas, God damn it. If he goes to Vegas, um, we'll edit that out. If he goes to Vegas, will he be able to have that role? I would. I just feel much better about having someone that has already done it before in Kenneth Murray. Yeah, definitely. The last guy on here is uh, Marlon Davidson, 29 to Tennessee. We, we talked about edge rushers here for Tennessee and uh, how if they were to take one, it would be a reach. This is someone that I don't think either of us thought he looked great in Mobile. Uh, some scouts did. I didn't see that. And even if they were to reach for an edge rusher, I'm not sure Marlon Davidson would have been in my top three choices for Tennessee at this spot. Yeah, I think Marlon Davidson, to me, is one of those players where like, if, if you're going to draft him and decide whether or not you're going to play him, I really hope that whoever ends up with him doesn't decide whether or not to play him based on how he looks against pads. I hope that the team decides whether or not to play him based on how he looks against other players. Because I thought in bag drills, like in like in the in the hand usage drill, in like the tackling dummy drills, he didn't look that impressive to me. A lot of people were gushing over it. I didn't really see it. Um, he ended up ending his senior bowl week early with kind of, with an ankle injury, which was unfortunate because I did want to watch more of him. Um, but like you said, like I just went back and looked through because I was like, oh, are there like a lot of edge rushers going? Is that like what's going on here? And there's really not. I think there's only three. There's Chase Young, there's Caleb on Chase on to the Jets, I believe, at 11, and then A.J. Epinesa goes to the Falcons. And other than that, there's no edge rushers taken before this Titans pick. And so to me... I'd want to go with a guy like Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who I thought was someone that looked really strong in Mobile. Um, someone that I think came into Mobile with kind of some questions about how raw he was, but I thought he showed like very prototypical 3-4 outside linebacker, pass rusher size. Um, I saw a couple cops to Zadarius Smith while I was kind of perusing through senior bowl like senior bowl stuff on twitter i thought it was interesting too um i thought he had a really strong showing i think he's going to end up in the first round he's not in the first round of this mock i think he's in the first round of mine i don't was he in the first round of yours he was he actually went to baltimore i believe if i yeah remember right i think that's what i did too to be honest with you it's just um, baltimore and alabama players it's just how it goes yeah exactly um but yeah i think davidson strikes me more as like a second, third round pick, because I think, again, there's questions about what position he's going to play, right? Where, like, if the Titans pick him here, he's not playing outside. He's not playing as a pass rusher on the outside. He's playing as a 3-4 end, probably. And it's like, do you want to play him at 3-4 end, or do you want to play him as a 4-3 defensive end rushing the passer? Or do you want to play him 4-3 on the inside, even, which is something that he did while he was at Auburn. 
they kind of had him and Nick Coe and Marlon and, uh, excuse me, um, Derek Brown, sorry, uh, kind of move all around that defensive line. Yeah, it's fine. I watched him today. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But they kind of had all three of those guys move around the defensive line. And so now there's questions about, like, where are you going to play all those guys? And for Davidson, I feel like he fit. To me, I think he fits a little bit better on the inside. And so I can see, like, where you're going, like, playing him as a 3-4 end of, like, kind of on the inside, but kind of not. Um, but I don't know. I I like – I think that Lewis here would be just a better scheme fit to me. And I think also is just a player that I'd have more highly rated right now. Yeah, I um... – I lied. I had Lewis going 23 to New England. I just looked, um, which I also was a really good fit. But, um, yeah, the guys that were available at this spot, I would easily have taken Terrell Lewis, and I'm not even a big, like, Curtis Weaver guy, but I would take Curtis Weaver over Marlon Davidson. And then Yeter Gross-Mendes is another one, depending on how the investigation goes. Um, Yeah. We kind of just don't really talk about it because it's not something we want to bring on the show or anything, but... He's someone that if the investigation comes clear and he looks all good to go, which we don't anticipate, he's someone that would be a perfect fit in Tennessee to me. Yeah, definitely. But that's just some things that we would change to this mock. But Daniel Jeremiah did some things right, um, which is good because he's on NFL Network. So we would hope that he'd nail a couple picks. And my favorite player in the entire draft, that's not Kyle Duggar, is actually Isaiah Simmons. Um, he was the first report was that basically I had. Basically, Kyle Duggar. I, I had to put one more Kyle Duggar mention in there. I just had to. Um, I'm sure Brandon will text me when he listens. Be like, stop with the Kyle Duggar, but it's fine. Um, and that's We're Isaiah Simmons. The show the Kyle Duggar podcast. Right. We need to get him on here. Um, Soon, man. Um, we've got Isaiah uh, Simmons. Oh, go ahead. No, just I don't mean to. Uh, tease the listeners but uh we, we've got some good stuff in the works We're gonna oh be, yeah oh yeah i can't wait it's gonna be some fire content in the next it's gonna in the be coming weeks fantastic stuff hopefully we can pull through on some of these promises always look like idiots but um <laughs> it's fine. moving back to another safety not named kyle duggar all right i'm done i'm done <laughs> um it's isaiah simmons going to jacksonville at nine um this guy's a special player he can literally do everything on the defensive side of the ball. He played safety. He played linebacker. He played nickel. He played as a spy. He rushed off the edge. He literally does everything well. He's my number three player on my board right now, and I'm not going to be shocked if he stays there. And, I, and I've and i watched Derek Brown. I haven't fully graded Derek Brown, but Derek Brown is up there. I think he's currently four, but Isaiah Simmons is just so special. I remember watching his film and just gushing over the amount of athleticism and range. And Jacksonville, when they lost Telvin Smith, I felt like they lost a gear to their defense, and they have a severe gaping hole in, at safety. So you can move Simmons and play him either or. I just think him and Miles Jack in the middle, oh, two God. versatile, athletic, rangy linebackers, it's going to be scary to go up against those two and linebacker is really not a priority position. Cause I think that's why Simmons is going to fall um, in yeah. the draft because not many people view linebackers <clears throat> as a top tier position of need. And with all the quarterbacks, that's going to be elevated in um, 
offensive tackles are pushed up the board. You're going to see guys like Simmons and Derek Brown fall a little bit past their value. I think Simmons lands in the perfect spot here in Jacksonville. Yeah. I have Simmons as number three overall on my board as well. Um, I've fully graded Derek Brown, and I still have him as number three. I don't care. Um, I just think he he's – no matter what position you put him in at Clemson, he executed perfectly. Like you said, he's in the slot. He's as a spy. He's as a single high safety. He's doing he's doing all of it. There was one rep on the film that I saw where he's literally off the screen at the snap, and then all of a sudden you just see him literally like just pop into frame, snag the ball, like take an interception, and just like jump out of bounds. You're like, where do you even come from? It's nuts. Um, my I have three pro comparisons for Isaiah Simmons that I wrote down. Um, it's whatever Dayon Buchanan was supposed to be. That, that's what I use. Um, if you put Brian Erlacher and Derwin James into a blender, and the third one is just God. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's good at football. Um, yeah. I saw Matt Miller had Sean Taylor as an interesting pro comp. I think yeah, that's a that, pretty that's good one. I just don't want yeah. to take credit for it because I'm not as smart as Matt Miller is. But yeah. I think that that is a really good one. I put on my scouting report on Whole9Sports.com, Dot com, another shameless plug. Um, Dayon Buchanan was my pro comp, but what mm-hmm. Buchanan was supposed to be when he was drafted by Arizona to yeah. be this kind of insanely athletic hybrid linebacker safety mix that can be kind of played and put in pretty much any formation, any scheme, and just execute. Buchanan yeah. obviously didn't do that, but I, I wrote in my summary... If Simmons doesn't become a perennial all-pro, then I need to just stop scouting because this guy is special. Yeah, I think as far as the fit with Jacksonville goes, I think, like like you kind of touched on, they have a needed linebacker. They have a needed safety. They have a needed corner even. And honestly, Isaiah Simmons took a couple reps at outside corner, and he didn't look that bad. Nope. He can probably do it. Just put him out there. I don't know. They're... I think some people might be a little bit concerned about, like, oh, what position does he play? Like, we kind of saw with Derwin James in 2018. Like, you know what I mean, though, right? Of Like, people were kind of like, I don't really know where to put him on an NFL field. Like, defensive coordinators are kind of uncreative as as a whole, it seems like. And so I think there are going to be, like, some questions of, like, where do I play this guy in the NFL? And honestly, it does not matter. Just put him on the field. And no matter where you put him on the field, he's going to continue to make play- he's going to make plays for you, and he's going to continue to make plays for you, and he's going to do it for probably ten to fifteen years. Absolutely, Derwin James was my number one overall player when uh, he came out. He Love was my that. number one rated player. Uh, your Chargers got him at seventeen. Congratulations. Love but, yeah, that. The, the questions that are being at that were being asked about James are the same ones that are being asked about Simmons, and they just they are the most basic questions that people ask that make absolutely zero sense. Like, if you don't watch Isaiah Simmons and see the amount of special that just comes out of him when he's on the field, you need to continue watching film and getting Go better. Go to your optometrist. We need, more <laughs> we need more media scouts, but we need you to have good opinions. And Isaiah Simmons is a great football player. Yeah. Uh, speaking of great football players. Look at that transition. Look at that. Look at that. Natural for this podcast. Um, the second one that we wrote down as a as a guy that we love uh, fit-wise was Jerry Judy to the Broncos. 
Um, I think Jerry Judy is obviously like came into this year undisputed wide receiver one, best route runner in this class. I saw AJ Green comparisons. I saw Julio Jones comparisons. Like basically any Pro Bowl, All Pro receiver you could ever think of, I've seen compared to Jerry Judy over the course of this season. Yeah. Some of those are more outlandish than others, but the guy can run routes like nobody's business. Um, I think on the Broncos, next to Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant, who I think will come along a little bit more next year. That um, is a scary young offensive core. That's, Holy that's an incredible offense. With Drew Locke throwing the ball to all three of them, that offense terrifies me. Um, As a Chargers fan. I, I would love this pick if I were a Broncos fan like my roommate is. As a Chargers fan, I would hate this pick. Um, and that's how you know it's a good pick. Well, I think Judy, I think my comp for him was Amari Cooper. I think Yeah, that's what I'm seeing too. I think is the one that I used. Um, but like like you said, I've seen Julio, I've seen AJ Green. I've seen some people have compared him to Calvin Ridley. I think he's just a lot better than Calvin Ridley. Um yeah. he's a natural out or excuse me, he's a insane route runner. That's what I wanted to say. Um, 215 here guys 215 um he is incredibly crisp coming from cuts and i think a lot of people especially when you get in the scouting process a lot of people like to nitpick and make excuses and find holes in a player that aren't there um i was gonna say i feel like because he came in as just like such a consensus wide receiver one I think people are starting to overthink it. And they're like, oh, he catches with his body too much. I'm like, who cares? Does he catch it? Yes. Moving on. Yeah. He's, yeah, like I, said, I think he's still the clear-cut number one. I think CeeDee Lamb might get drafted higher than Judy just because I think Arizona at eight is extremely interesting. Yeah, just because the Cardinals exist. Um, but Judy, to me, is still the wide receiver one. I don't even think it's like 1A, 1B anymore. I think it's like 1A and like 1C. Like I think there is yeah. a big enough gap there to define Judy and Lamb. And I, I think the fit here is insane with Denver. Being a Drew Locke guy, I think him having all these weapons would just be tremendous for his development. And Sutton looks like he could be a potential all-pro wide receiver. Yeah. the It'd be scary. I mean, Derwin James can just cover all of them. Yeah, probably true. Our last pick here before we close the show out was another Alabama receiver, and it's Henry Ruggs to Philly. Um, I know I've mocked this in the past. Um, I didn't mock it this past time, but I have mocked it in the past, and I've seen it in the past. The Eagles need help at receiver. As much as I like Greg Ward Jr., he seems like a nice person. Wide receiver one does not seem to fit him. Uh, And the Eagles are rumored to be getting rid of... Alshon Jeffrey, and rumored to be looking to move on from uh, Nelson Aguilar. I just think that getting some fresh talent in there would be what is needed, and Ruggs is incredibly fast. I wouldn't be shocked if he runs like a 4-2-3 or 4-2-4 at the Combine. I think he's just a blazer down the field, and once if you watch this Eagles offense worked best when he had Deshaun Jackson to take the top off the defense. Henry Ruggs can do the exact same thing. I just think it's a natural fit here with the Eagles. And like I said, I think I have a buddy who's an Eagles fan who really wants Justin Jefferson, but I think Henry Ruggs is just a much better fit. 
Yeah. Um, I had Ruggs going to Philly in my last mock draft that came out two weeks ago now. Um, my only thing with that pick is I'm not sure he's going to last that long, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, I think he might be gone before this pick. Obviously, in this in both my mock and Daniel Jeremiah's mock, he makes it all the way there. But I don't know if that's going to happen in the real thing, especially if he runs like a four two three. Oakland would I don't be a sneaky think, pick at twelve. Yeah, honestly, I don't think he's going to beat John Ross's forty time record. I also go to University of Washington, so you know <laughs> who knows. But um, but there's no question that the dude is just a burner. Uh, I've seen Tyreek Hill as the comparison. I don't know how to feel about it, really. I haven't, like, dug super deep into the Henry Ruggs tape just because, like, there are so many guys from Alabama that I have to watch that are all on offense. It's like I don't want to watch the same game six times in a row. Um, But, yeah, I think you put it perfectly. This is a great fit with this Eagles offense. They desperately need someone that can extend the field, like, at all, um, just to open up more space for Zach Ertz, for Dallas Goddard, for even, like, Miles Sanders in the run game. Um, there were way too many instances this season where defenses were able to just kind of collapse on like the 10 yards pat, like within the line of scrimmage. And you could stop the Eagles every time doing that. And with Henry Ruggs though, you can't do that. You have to commit a guy to a deep zone. You have to commit a guy to running man to man with him down the sideline, just because otherwise he's going to burn you. And he does not go down the first time you try to tackle him. And so you can't just put him one-on-one back there with some guy because, first of all, he's probably going to burn him. Oh, yeah. Second of all, even if he doesn't, like that guy's probably not going to tackle him. So he's... you have to commit at least two guys to just like staying with him down the sideline. And then all of a sudden, like you only have nine players left, and there's a whole bunch of other routes going on on the field. And so, yeah, I mean, I it's a great it... fit. I've said it before, I think he's the most dynamic playmaker in this entire draft just because of his speed and separation skills. And his separation skills aren't due to being an amazing route runner. It's just because he's so athletically gifted and so fast. If you have one misstep, you already have lost. So I think think him in Philly, him in Philly would be perfect for Carson Wentz. And I need Carson Wentz to be good because I – loved this guy coming out of college so yeah that is. i think it's another one of those things where people are like oh but he can't run routes oh he can't do this and it's like i don't care they said the same thing about Just, tyree kill yeah i mean it's kind of like the dk metcalf problem last year it's like yeah let him just run in a straight line and it'll beat you every time he, scheme he, matters a lot and i think on the eagles they just kind of let him run in a straight line and I, he would produce they just let him do it and maybe they won't be Seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. They'll be back yeah. to where they were a couple years ago when they were in the Super Bowl. But that is the super long show for this episode, guys. We do appreciate the uh, the listen. Um, I know that I had a ton of fun, and I can't wait to keep doing this with Alex. Um, make sure you guys go ahead and give a five-star review. That would be just fantastic. Leave comments down below in the review section, wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple or uh, Spotify or Stitcher or Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We do appreciate it. Once again, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at JoshBerg0611. Follow the Draft Pod on Twitter at WNDraftPod. 
over to HomeLineSports.com. Check out all our latest articles. Alex and I both had, I think, three or four different articles published during Senior Bowl week. That we I were, should have two more articles coming yeah, out and tomorrow, I'll, too. I'll have another one or two that will be uh, up by the end of the week. Um, follow Alex awesome. on Twitter, at Alex yeah. Katzen. That's Katzen with a K. Yes. Um, Very important. It's, it, it is important. You, you can also just click the followers tab on my profile, and you'll he'll be towards the top. Um, yeah. But I hope you had fun, man. I know I, I just can't wait to keep on doing this. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to plan less segments next time because we just had so much fun recording that no, we just it was it was a blast. Like we went over time for every segment. <laughs> it doesn't feel like we recorded for an hour and forty five minutes, but we did. Yeah, right. So, so well, we'll that's... cut it down next time. Um, yeah, won't be as much. Maybe we'll limit it to two segments an episode. Maybe we'll have less to talk about. You know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll... Draft season is upon us. I'm gonna say it's it's high gear for us now. Alex and I have to get back to work. We have 300 scouting reports to get done by the end of the week, and we're not oh So we're going to go nope. ahead and get out of here. Like I said, we do appreciate you guys listening, and until the next time, I'm Josh signing off for Alex. We'll see you guys next time.